0: The views expressed on this show by guests and the host on issues outside of the 9-11 controlled demolition evidence are the opinions of those individuals alone and do not necessarily reflect those of architects and engineers to 9-11 truth. Freefall. I'm the host, Andy Steele. Today we're joined by Adam Syed. He's a longtime 9-11 Truth activist, pretty well-known in the movement. He's also a skilled musician and music teacher. We'll be getting to know more about him today. Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Andy. So I don't know how this has not happened yet, that you have not been on this show in what has been like nine years of this show, because you've done a lot and uh, you're very (laughs) well-known out there in activist circles, and uh, this should have happened sooner, so we're making it happen today. Has it been nine years? Nine years of doing this. It's been more than two presidential terms, and we've actually met in person wow. and everything. And I just have not brought you on yet, so this is a great opportunity. Yeah, now. we um,
1: yeah, we met at where did we meet? We met at uh, Richard Gage's wedding, didn't we?
0: We did, we did, yes, yeah. So basically, uh, I have no excuse now, no excuse. We've talked on Facebook so many times, but we got to get to know you. We got to get you down in the history books because uh, you've been very outspoken in what you do. Since it is your first time, this is your rite of initiation. You got to tell us your 9/11 story. Where were you? How did you hear the news of what was happening?
1: Well, um, that period in 2001 was actually a very uh, high period, very good period in my own personal life. Um, as you meant, uh so I'm a musician. Um, I'm a violinist, and um, I had just started my master's degree. We were about two weeks into the school year um, at. Um, I had finally got accepted to my dream school, which is uh, the Cleveland Institute of Music. So I was in Cleveland, Ohio at that point. And and the um, Cleveland Institute of Music, it's not quite the household name that Juilliard is, but it is is kind of the Juilliard of the, if if, if I may toot my own horn a little bit here, it is kind of the Juilliard of the Midwest, particularly for strength. Like, um, as a matter of fact, um, I overlapped at that school with um, the man, the violinist, who now sits um, what's known as concert master or first chair violin of the New York Philharmonic. So, and he's just one of many people that I went to school with that now have jobs in, um, you know, the Chicago Symphony, the Seattle Symphony, the, the uh, Cleveland orchestra, the New York, the New York Philharmonic, uh, you know, just about every Houston symphony, just about every major, um, every major orchestra, uh, has people that graduated or did their graduate work at uh, Cleveland Institute. And I had tried um, twice to get into that school um, as an undergrad. I tried to get in as a freshman and I got rejected. And then I got, I tried to get in as an undergrad transfer after two years at Ohio State. And this time I almost got in and they put me on the wait list, but ultimately they were overfilled. And, you know, when when you're the right level to be admitted, but they, but they're overfilled that means that uh, politics were so you know kind of got into the mix as well you know uh, but anyway so i'm kind of rambling here but um, i finally got into that school um, for my master's degree and so i was um, i was really at a very high point in my life and um, we were about two weeks into the school year and on the day it's on the evening of 910 and this is a long story which i won't get into but um, on the evening of 9/10, um, my car got towed from my own parking lot, um, and I didn't have any classes on 9/11 until 4:15 in the afternoon when I had orchestra rehearsal. So I slept in, and then I figured that at my leisure I would take the bus to the impound lot and get my car. Um, I had a radio alarm that went off right at 9 o'clock, and a couple of men were talking about a plane crashing into the World Trade Center. And they were mocking the apparent idiocy of the pilot. You know, like, oh, how could he not see that building coming? Um, at any rate, I turned the alarm off, went back to sleep, and later I was waiting for the bus, uh, and it seemed to take forever. And when I mentioned it to someone, she said, "Well, they're they're slow. They're probably slow getting out of downtown, evacuating everybody from downtown because of what's going on in the country." And I said, "What is going on?" And she goes oh, you don't know? And I said, well, uh, I did hear something on the radio about um, a plane crashing into the World Trade Center, and then I, I went back to sleep. And then another person said, oh, dude, it's it's leveled. It's completely gone. Um, and I should also mention, speaking of the day of 9-11 itself, um, like a lot of people, I was glued to the television. And I'm one of those people who, you know, does remember um, – WTC7 right from day one. I I very vividly do remember being tuned in and seeing that third building come coming down. But in my mind numbed shock, passively accepted that it must have simply been weakened and fell down. Um, So yeah, that's that's my story of the day of 9/11 itself.
0: Yeah, same thing happened to me. I watched it as it happened, and I told my roommate they must have brought down the building to control the fire or something. None of that makes any sense to anybody that looks at that statement logically, but I think a lot of us turned our brains off on that day. What made you begin to question how the towers fell?
1: Um, well, I would say that what made me question um nine eleven in general um you know, there's the two kind of acronyms, Hop, and Hop. let it happen on purpose and made it happen on purpose. Um, I would say that I started suspecting that it was allowed to happen on purpose by the end of 2002. There was a famous quote by Bush at the time where he said about Osama bin Laden, he was like, oh, I don't really know where he is. And to be honest with you, I don't really spend much time thinking about him. Um, I thought that that was – it was very – Suspicious that you would make such a statement while at the same time drumming up the the beat of war for uh, Iraq and put, putting the uh, spotlight on Saddam Hussein. That all struck me as rather suspicious. And so I and and I did notice, of course, the uh, right when 9/11 happened. I noticed the 91% approval rating. Uh, you know, when a scientific poll was taken two days later on 9/13. Um, but at the time, I thought. When I saw that 91% approval rating, I thought to myself, "Is it possible that they did this themselves?" And then I, in the next se- in the next second, I dismissed that as exactly the way David Ray Griffin uh, reacted at first was to say, uh, "I don't think even the Bush administration could be that wicked and that evil." Um, but then I did, like I said, by about a year later, I suspected that they allowed it to happen on purpose. Um, when it became really clear that they were shifting the reasons for going into Iraq and the lack, and then when we had the lack of uh, weapons of mass destruction, um, which I might also like to add, I think the whole business about no weapons of mass destruction might have even perhaps been, uh, if I look at hindsight, might have even been perhaps scripted in order to seize upon the quote, unquote, incompetence cover, you know, like you've often, I've often heard people deny uh, the evidence for 9-11 being an inside job because they'll say, well, if they were smart enough to orchestrate all of this, then why couldn't they just plant some weapons of mass destruction in Iraq? And um, back in 2004, um, you know, Michael Moore released his film, Fahrenheit 9-11. And there were a lot of you know, he really did quite a lot of dot connecting there. And um, even though it overtly promoted the incompetence theory, it was – I felt like it was easy to read between the lines and realize that um, the Bush administration must have, like, wanted this to happen and allowed it. Um, but it was 2005, um, like, Fahrenheit nine eleven was with 04, and then – 2005 was when I finally became a made-it-happen-on-purpose, a hop truther, and a few things converged there. Um, I was browsing Barnes & Noble or Borders books, I can't remember which one, and I stumbled upon David Ray Griffin's book, The New Pearl Harbor, um, that Uh, was I think the first time I started reading about evidence of explosives and uh, reports of explosions at the Trade Center. Uh, So I read that, and then a few months later he came out with um, a book called The 9-11 Commission Report, Omissions and Distortions. And I learned about how the commission report didn't mention Building 7, and I learned about how the Family Steering Committee said that 7 70% 70% of its questions had been unanswered. Uh, so that all, and then I saw David Ray Griffin's Madison, Wisconsin lecture of, I think, May or June of 2005, where he talked about a lot of this evidence, including the insider trading, the put options. Um, I can't remember if, I think he probably mentioned the war games, but I remember, I remember at that same time learning about the war games um, in an online clip I saw from uh, Michael Rupert. Um, and then I, and then what really fired me up uh, at the time was Dave von Kleist's film 9/11 in Plain Sight. Um, I thought he made uh, an extremely convincing, I thought solid case for uh, the lack of a, a jetliner crash at the Pentagon, as well as the controlled demolitions of the towers. I was never totally convinced by his pod and flash theory. But um, I also figured that this was one of those films whereby if even 10% of it was accurate, the official 9-11 story was in trouble. And I could see that a lot more than 10, 10% of it was was accurate. Um, so, yeah, by by the middle of 2005, um, I was, you know, full-blown truther, and I was fired up, I'm you know, and it was my mission to try to, you know, try to inform other people of, of this stuff because it was clear that there was a, a complete blackout from the mainstream media.
0: Yeah, the media helped me wake me up too, not uh, by informing me of it, but the, by the way that they tried to cover up this entire issue and go after anybody that spoke up about it. It made me think that there's some there there. An eighteen of truth, we stick to the science of the building demolitions in New York and right there, building seven, we can tell just by looking at it, the fire did not bring that building down. I used to argue with a guy when I was first waking up to 9/11 truth about 9/11 back and forth in Building 7. He could never explain. He would say that's probably something we just don't need to know about. Well, no, you don't get away with doing that. You don't get away with just saying I'm gonna just trust the government. Brought that down for some reason or another, and there's nothing more to it than that. Right. You know, totally ridiculous. Now, when right. you started waking up, I mean, were you were you kind of in the closet about it, or were you speaking to friends? I mean, did you start trying to raise awareness right away. Um, when I first watched
1: um, In Plain Sight, um, yeah, my mind was extremely blown by it. Um, and the first thing I had started doing was um, contacting every friend that I knew in person, people that I had known throughout my life, and in some cases going over to their house and showing it to them. And um, and back in the mid back in the mid 2000s, around uh, 2000. 2006 when i first started getting into this with uh in plain sight in 05 and then loose change in um, 2006 as well as a few uh as well as some of the early films by um alex jones wow. um <laughs> you know i uh, actually had a i actually gave a bunch of dvds of some of these videos out to um Members of the orchestras that I played in at the time, which at that time included the Dayton Philharmonic and the West Virginia Symphony, um, as a matter of fact, I uh, actually had uh, small little screening of um, some of these uh, some of these films um, when the orchestra would uh, get together for like a hotel based event you know where like um, where the orchestra members stay in the hotel overnight. Um, I would I would show this stuff to them. And several of them, several of them were pretty convinced, but my experience over the years is that there are a lot of people out there who um, will see this stuff, and they'll be convinced by it, and they'll say, yep, I agree with you. 9-11 was an inside job or a false flag or whatever. They'll say, yep, I agree with you. Those buildings were clearly blown up. Um, but they don't become fired up to become activists um, the way the way we were. They're like, yep, thanks for thanks for enlightening me. Okay, back to my regular life.
0: Yeah, I know. Suddenly people become these wise old men on the mountain, as if they've lived a thousand years. Like, oh, the world will never do anything about that. It'll just pass in the sand. Like, right. You know, I mean, the world's that's, done things. That's, been that's in kind past. of
1: the. That's kind of some of the pushback I've gotten you know, from some people that are you know either doubt what I'm doing or are agnostic about it, they'll say, well, even if you are right, what can be done about it? I mean, it's one thing that I, one thing I recently heard was that, Hey, you know, it's, it's been 20 years. Uh, if, If you're correct, I'd say they got away with it. So what could be done about it? And of course, you know, the answer is that, um, When I was actually at freshman orientation at Ohio State University and we were in a large auditorium, one of the deans was speaking to us, talking about the purpose of what is higher education supposed to be about. And of course, a lot of people are going into it so they can get a good job and live the, you know, have a nice salary and live the American dream. But this dean said to us that the purpose of higher education should be about pursuing truth no matter what, where it leads. And I never forgot that. He said that the higher purpose of higher education was to pursue truth. And so that means that that means pursuing truth for the sake of truth. It doesn't need to be for any other motive. You know, it can just be you're pursuing truth for the sake of pursuing truth. Even if so, even if uh, it's good to know what the truth is for the historical record 50 years from now, 100 years from now, even if the people who orchestrated this will go to their graves without you know, having been convicted
0: of it. Exactly. And also, like the song goes, we won't be fooled again. You make people aware of this issue, they become more vigilant, more sharp in the future when new things come up. And, you know, those young people who wake up to 9-11, they grow up, some of them become congressmen because somebody has to out of this whole lot. And some new legislation comes up, some new event, such as a 9-11 style one comes up. And uh, maybe they're not going to fall for it as hard. So it's yeah. all part of our experience. Now, have you ever had any trouble in your life because of your outspoken advocacy for this issue and your activism? Um. Well, I've not
1: extreme trouble. I mean, I, I think that um, I think that with my mom and dad, I think that there has been a certain degree of strain on it. Um, on the relationship, but I think that my dad has, uh, I think that my dad slowly over the years came to the conclusion that I'm most likely right about 9/11, but then took the attitude of, well, hey, you know, you're just one person, you can't do anything about it, so why don't you why don't you go back to, go back to focusing on building your music career, you know. <laughs> Um, I've never, I mean, I think that there have been a few people who have silently unfriended me on Facebook over it. Um, I have noticed that every time I post uh, a 9-11 post, you know, to do with the controlled demolitions, you know, AE, credible, serious information, I'll still notice that, like, within a day of that, I'll, I'll lose a few friends. I have noticed that. Um, I've never actually had somebody... Like say, well, if you believe that the U.S. government was involved in 9/11, then I'm, I don't want to be your friend. I'm never speaking to you again. Uh, I've never had that happen, uh, you know. And I've never had, I've never had anything, you know. I've never had an employer say, uh, oh, I I Googled your name and I found that you posted at 9/11 blogger <laughs> or anything like that.
0: Well, I haven't had any, that happen with employers as of yet, so that's a good thing. Uh, I've had that happen to me as well, you know, in terms of uh, people saying oh i can't believe you would think this and not anything to do with me afterwards but there would be people that i had very shallow relations with to begin with and you you find out who your true friends are and it's sort of a process of elimination because those types of people you know they find some other problem anyway so it's good to just get rid of them that's the key to success folks it's just whittling away all the garbage from the the good stuff in your life and getting rid of the people that are toxic and don't really fit into your plan so you know get rid of that and uh just stick right. with the people who are good and even you know my friends you know my personal friends a lot of them you know they, they generally agree with me but they don't get into it in the sense of being an activist or being passionate about it but they're supportive of what i do and uh, want to see something happen even if it's just me who's doing it now you mentioned the media, and this is interesting because I know for myself, when I woke up to this, it was like introducing a new color into the color spectrum for me. I mean, I could right. not even believe that this concept existed of false flags. I pretty much believed in the Republicans and the Democrats, and you know, <laughs> those were the two mm-hmm. opposing forces here in the country, and the media that the media was generally trying its best to. Report what was going on, but obviously 9/11 blows the face off of that. Did this change your perception right. of those worlds of politics and media? Absolutely. Um, you know, uh,
1: one of the uh, one of the things that my dad said when he uh, when he was in denial about this, you know, since 9/11 happened to re- under a Republican administration, he said to me, Adam, if what you guys are saying had even any slightest ring of truth to it the Democrats would expose it. (laughs) And he really believes that in his heart of hearts. He really believes that. And, um, you know, I, I still don't, I still think that there are some differences. I don't think that um, I don't think that behind closed doors, the uh, Democrats and Republicans are, you know, 100% buddy, buddy, the way, Um, I mean, there is definitely a lot of, there is definitely a lot of elitism going on there, but there are subtle differences between, between the two parties. But in terms of things like this, in terms of like the general paradigm of American supremacy and American imperialism and American exceptionalism, when it comes to that, there's, there's no, uh, there's no real, uh, difference between uh, the two parties and then the media as well. They belittle us as as conspiracy theorists um, and they and if you know they they say that if if they uh they first that they uh ignore you and then they fight you you know or they ridicule you and then they fight you and then you win I feel like um with nine eleven they ignored us then they ridiculed us then they fought us but then it's kind of like they they sort of went back to ignoring us and the historical record never changed you know what i mean like back when loose change came out in 2006 that was before architects and engineers for 9-11 truth was founded in fact when loose change came out i think that was even before Stephen jones published his first paper and so back then When when loose change went viral, the media jumped on it and said, nobody, not one single architect or engineer or pilot or demolition expert or ex-military, nobody, not one single person supports what you guys are saying. Uh, But now that we have thousands on the record that have expertise in those fields that, that are agreeing with us, They just go back to ignoring us. Or they'll say that 3,400 architects and engineers is like 0.0001% of the world's total architects and engineers. You know, they'll constantly move the goalposts.
0: Well, it's not like there's major journals publishing on this topic, debating controlled demolition versus progressive collapse. And, uh, you know, we do the best that we can to reach those architects and engineers, but we have no help from the mainstream media. The only help that we get is from our great supporters out there. And donors keeping us going and keeping this message moving forward. And we try to pull out things like Seven, which is uh, out there on Amazon Prime and a more mainstream platform for people to access and and get those new people who are not already in the choir. But again, when Richard does his presentations by a show of hands... He asks the audience how many people believe the official story, how many already don't. And uh, architects and engineers who fall in those audiences fall into the same result here, is that by the time they've watched the evidence, they agree that there's a need for a new investigation. So that whole argument about the number yeah. of architects and engineers and is just so hollow.
1: Yes, it, it really is. But people who are in denial, um, it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's a straw man that they can sort of try to grasp onto to stay in denial. It should be obvious to anybody with, like, an eighth-grade physics education that those buildings were blown up.
0: If someone was eating a hamburger and 3,000 doctors came out and said that if they finished the hamburger, it'll take 20 years off their life, people would be spitting the hamburger across the room, right? So, I mean, it's only yeah. because of the political ramifications and everything that associated with this event and everything that this country's invested in it that people don't want to yeah. look at the evidence. But I think they're, they're coming more awake. Yeah. Now, what's your take on the increasing right. censorship? There was a golden age at one point in the 9/11 truth yes. movement, 2012, and it was just, you could get anything you wanted fairly easily on YouTube. We thought it would go on forever in our ignorance, but here we see them cracking down now in so many different platforms. What's your take on that?
1: Yeah, it's it's extremely unfortunate, and it's it's very maddening. I think that um, with with big tech deciding that they are arbiters of truth now, see, I have a feeling that um, I'm worried and I, it's, you know, with the, with the release of seven and with the University of Alaska study, things kind of could go the other way. But I'm actually thinking that when we get really close to this 20th anniversary, because this is a big number anniversary. And so there's going to be a lot of attention more than the 19th or the 17th anniversaries or whatever, the 21st. Uh, this is going to be like the fifth or the 10th where there's going to be a lot of media attention. And I have a, I have a feeling that YouTube and Facebook might, decide to seize on that 20th anniversary thing and be like, okay, you guys have, uh, you guys had two decades to spew your misinformation now be gone. Or they might, or they might, for example, like if we put, if we share something from AE from architects and engineers from 9-11 truth um, on Facebook, they might have one of those fact checks saying false information in this post. The National Institute of Standards and Technology did a thorough investigation and found no evidence of explosives.
0: Yeah, they're cutting their own throats doing that and so many other issues, though, now. Um, I, I think we've already won in a yeah. sense that the, the fact that they have to go to this Orwellian extreme to try to keep the official story protected is a good thing. Now, they could just try to clamp down and maybe some new thing will come up and – and everyone will be focused on that but we got to keep on using every resource that we can i say go to bitshoot it's just as good as youtube and uh, they got you know they don't have everything yeah. that's on youtube but they're getting more and more stuff every day so free commercial for bitshoot here yeah. on the show and uh, other yeah, places and, and try to get out into uh you know into the mainstream as much as you can too with the legit. let me
1: also before yeah and before we get before you before you run out of time because I know we're getting close um when it comes to YouTube censorship when it comes to nine eleven stuff when you're doing like a when you're doing a, a search for like wTC seven or for that matter anything nine nine eleven related you need to go to the um to the filter to the search the search results filter and alter it from relevance to view count because A couple of years ago, YouTube decided that anything 9-11 related is um, is irrelevant. So it it won't show up unless you, like, really take, you know, spend ages scrolling down. So now if you alter it from relevance to view count, um, do that, and, and you'll be shocked at how wildly different the search results are particularly for something like WTC7 collapse.
0: Now that is good advice I did not know. So instead of searching for relevance, search for view count. Remember that, folks, and try. I'm going to try it out later on today. Adam said, I know you got a, something else to do at this moment, and we're right at the half-hour mark anyway. So thank you for all the work that you have done and you continue to do, and thank you for coming on 9-11 Freefall today.
1: Thank you. Pleasure to be here.
0: This program is on every Thursday night on No Lies Radio at 10 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Pacific, and every other Sunday night on BBS Radio at 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Pacific. You can also keep track of the archives by going to 911freefall.com. This is Andy Steele. Have a great week. Good luck,